even casual observers of digital health will probably have realized that 2021 was an incredibly strong year for the field, uh, particularly in terms of venture funding. How strong was it? We saw a near doubling in the amount raised and in the number of M&A deals. These observations come from Rock Health's 2021 year in funding report. And given the chart topping numbers, I invited Sari Kaganoff, Rock Health's general manager of consulting, to help us unpack them a bit. Sari will help us understand the underlying signals in last year's funding environment and what trends we can derive for the year ahead, including how life sciences companies are partnering with digital health players these days. Sari, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me. How are you? Of course. Great. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, so let's talk about those numbers a bit. Can you start off by giving us kind of the highlights? Sure. So as you mentioned, 2021 was a really big year for digital health. Around $29.1 billion was raised by uh, venture-backed startups in that year. And that is actually almost twice the prior year, which was $14.9 billion in 2020. And if you look at the trends more historically, the prior few years were more in the $8 billion range. So we're really at a place that we wouldn't have expected to see uh, when we look historically. So really busting the ceiling, if you know what I'm saying. There were 272 M&A deals, almost double 2020 is 146, a record 23 public exits, nearly triple 2020 is eight. Uh, so really busting the ceiling. And one, one of the interesting uh, trends you point out there as well as the average deal size, you know, was 39.9 million versus 30.8 million the year before and 88 mega deals of hundred million or more uh, or 57% of the year's total. So most of the, of the, of the deals last year were these big, big deals. Uh, so for those outside looking in, it's hard not to, to marvel at these numbers. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think what you're seeing is this, the companies moving from just kind of scale and from, sorry, formation and growth all the way to really scaling and putting that funding to play to really scale uh, at, you know, at pace. So what we actually see is that when you look at the funding rounds, in, the, in 2021, the average Series D and above was $147 million as compared to the prior year, which was only around 82 million on average. And so, although all the rounds increased, really Series D and above is what kind of blew it out of the water in terms of average deal size. So you're seeing a lot of money pouring into the later stage companies as they really move and scale. So that's pretty interesting. The M&A has picked up rapidly, as you pointed out. Uh, I think this is driven by a number of different factors. Uh, and I think we'll actually see more of it in, in the coming years as well. But a couple of the different factors driving M&A, one of them is actually SPAC activity, which we've you know, talked about in previous times and can double down on more. Another is actually the funding that we've just talked about. So as companies raise money, they actually often then go and acquire other companies to bolster their services. It's a much faster way to grow your business uh, or to add another feature or another element to the business than to just build it from scratch. So we do see a lot of companies raising funds and then going and acquiring shortly after. So that's another element. I think another interesting element driving it is actually a shortage of talent. Right now we see, you know, there's the great resignation, but even in healthcare, especially clinical talent, but other, you know, other types of talent as well, there's really a shortage. And so as companies raise funding and they, you know, have plans to grow and to uh, build their businesses, 
one quicker, easier way of doing that, if you, especially if you cannot find talent, is to acquire, but then also it sort of becomes an aqua hire in a way where you have the team that you've acquired in addition to the technology that they've built. So I think that's another element you definitely want to consider when you're looking at MA. And another element that's something we've talked about a lot at Rock Health is this idea of platform wars. So platforms being built. You know, historically in digital health, there have been a lot of point solutions addressing one small need. And you might have, you know, whether it's a therapeutic area, initially companies were focused on diabetes or mental health. And, you know, it might also be from a technology perspective, different services they're offering. But customers, whether they be payers, providers, or consumers, don't actually want a million different point solutions. So having the ability to offer a more comprehensive solution is preferred. And you see that in other areas outside of healthcare where there are often more comprehensive offerings. And one way to do that is instead of organically uh, grow those services yourself, it's actually to acquire. And so we see a lot of companies bolting on other different therapeutic areas or other services as a way to build these platforms and create, create a more comprehensive solution. So essentially with all that to say a lot of M&A happening, but also we expect to see more of it because those trends that we've just mentioned are actually uh, not going away. So yeah, it's really interesting kind of two underappreciated sort of factors or variables driving that record M&A and perhaps a consolidation uh, occurring. Let's let's turn to what kinds of companies top the chart. It, It was Noom, uh, which obviously a lot of people know is a weight loss and now men- mental health uh, firm, Row, which offers uh, direct-to-consumer telehealth, and and two other firms, Mind Body and Commure. Uh, yeah. So you have a mixture of, of company types here. You have a cool chart in there that kind of compares the top deals of 2021 to the top deals of 20. Can you help us understand that distinction? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when we look at the the number of, you know, at the top deals in 2020, there were a number of R&D catalysts is what we call them. So companies supporting uh, drug discovery and then, you know, class pass, which was more on the fitness one. We saw that as actually quite uh, tied to what was going on in the pandemic. Obviously the move toward different, you know, fitness at home and trying to stay healthy, but also this idea of really doubling down on pharmaceuticals and, and, you know, with the whole vaccine and all that understanding, like, wait, this is something we can do, but also thinking about remote clinical trials and other, other virtual things. So I think drug discovery sort of amped up its pace in terms of moving digital in 2020. What we see in 2021, I think is a shift uh, toward a little bit more of a consumer focus, you know, with both new Monroe are very consumer oriented and mind body, very consumer oriented companies. There's also a big focus here on mental health uh, with new moving into that area. And Commure is an example of the platforms I was talking about before, but more of the technology infrastructure platform. Uh, so they have both tools for providers and payers, as well as for digital health companies to build technologies on top of They're, They sort of are a highway of sorts for, for digital health data and, and information. And so I think it's both the infrastructure as well as the more consumer oriented and the shift of focus to mental health that you're really seeing drive those particular deals. But I will say that you do still see, when you look at the overall categories, uh, research and development catalyst still is actually the number one uh, category from a value proposition perspective. And the next, the next one being actually on-demand healthcare, which would be things like Row, you know, sort of offering telemedicine or at-home delivery prescriptions or anything like that. So we're definitely seeing a lot of that still remaining in the top focus. 
and, and maybe I'll switch a bit to the clinical indications that we have received. The yeah, top please. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that as well. Sure. Yeah. Go so ahead. mental health was the top one. And actually, if you look at the last four years, it was the top one running for four years. So mental health clearly being an area that is, is become a real focus within digital health. The second most funded this year was diabetes, which is kind of interesting because diabetes had historically been, a you know, in the top numbers, but it hadn't really been all the way up there. So that has kind of popped. Um, cardiovascular being the third also been, that's been like a steady, uh, steady placeholder and then primary care hitting on the fourth. So it's kind of interesting. We did see uh, oncology dropping down a little bit. It had, you know, moved down to sixth place and musculoskeletal though moving up in the ranks to fifth from 12th place. So, you know, not surprising, I think with, you know, these all still being in the top, but a couple of shuffling around that is, is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And and given that, as you point out, mental health care was the top, that was, they were actually a repeat winner. Uh, They were also the top funded clinical indication of 2020. Also, can you tell us what made 2021's sort of uh, record year for mental health different from 2020? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, I don't know that it's so different. It's just more, what's interesting is you see, I think what's interesting about mental health is that you see companies funded across the spectrum of stages. So although there are companies that are established and growing and, uh, you know, scaling, we actually still see new companies emerging. And I think it shows that there's so much unmet need in that space that, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, we just need to like scale the companies that are there. There's still a lot of more niche companies emerging and addressing particular subpopulations or addressing particular unmet needs that are more um, nuanced. What's interesting with mental health is we also have seen a number of acquisitions in the space, um, including K Health Acquired Trusted, which is uh, you know one of one of the mental health companies, um, and then the other Ginger and and Headspace or Headspace acquiring Ginger becoming Headspace Health. So there's definitely uh, been a couple of acquisitions in that space as well. Okay, and and obviously the trends driving investment there continued, you know, obviously the pandemic, um, exactly driving a, a growing need for, or revealing, you know, this growing need for accessible and affordable mental health care, yeah. the incidence of behavioral health conditions keeps growing, which is revealing an unmet medical need there. But what and other, um, also, I'd say there's also an element of almost like a normalizing of the, um, need for mental health and the use of it during the pandemic. I think even in a couple of years ago, it was much more of a quiet sort of uh, do it on your own, don't really be public about it. But more recently, there's been an awareness of, you know, we do need to take care of our mental health. And, and then that's not something people should be um, shy of. And you see that actually a number, a lot more employers are covering mental health benefits than they used to. And that's where some of these uh, startups are addressing that need. You also see, interestingly, a number of these mental health companies partnering with celebrities um, as well to sort of promote their services. So whether it be Serena Williams or or Prince Harry, um, you know, promoting mental health uh, support. So I think there's also sort of a normalizing of it and also employers beginning to back it as well. So some of these companies that had started in direct to consumer are now shifting their business model and really focusing on uh, other avenues as well. 
Sure. And we'll talk about one of those uh, mental health companies that's that's making that shift from consumer uh, to uh, more employer based in a moment. So, uh, you know, we talked about what what kind of deals stood out. Let's shift gears a minute and talk a little bit about some of the signs that perhaps the field is, is, is maturing. Uh, digital health's pace of venture funding hasn't always matched, hasn't always been matched, excuse me, by exit activity. But mm-hmm. that was indeed something that Rock Health saw in 2021. Uh, last year saw an average of nearly 23 digital health exits via merger or acquisition each month, almost double 2020's yeah. monthly average of 12. So how did, what, what does that say about the field uh, as a whole? Yeah, and I think there's there's a couple things. So the M&A activity is happening at all different sizes of companies. So it's interesting to see uh, there's larger companies merging, you know, like Headspace and Ginger that we just talked about, but you also have um, a lot of smaller companies uh, being acquired to to bolster some of the offerings of the other of their competitors or other adjacent companies like we talked about. What I think is particularly interesting uh, is actually when you look at who has acquired those companies, the vast majority are other digital health companies still. So in 2021 of the acquisitions, um, you know, more than half were by digital health companies. That is something that we do see often. That's the largest one, but I think that the number, you know, it was 172 of the acquisitions are actually by digital health companies. Um, and then you do see, you know, some technology companies, providers, uh, et cetera. But what we did also see was a bit of an uptick of, you know, PE acquisitions, which is kind of interesting as well. So I think that, um, you know, most of those companies are still going toward, cohesion of the offering of the acquirer is what you're seeing. Uh, We do see a number of med device companies making acquisitions and things like that too. Uh, What's more interesting, I think, is even the exit activity because historically digital health has been an area that has not had a lot of public, uh, publicly traded companies. We will look back over the last 10 years, you know, there were just a handful every year, excluding 2017 to 2018, where it will be called the public exit drought, where there were no exits at all. But then um, in the last, you know, in 2019, 2020, we saw five and then and then eight. Uh, but 2021, as you mentioned, 23. So really popping up there. The majority of those, about 15, were actually done through SPAC mergers, which is an interesting new phenomenon that only came on the scene about a year ago. Uh, but we do have eight IPOs as well. I think part of this is just the timing, right? It's time for some of these companies to, to grow up. They've been incubating for a while. I think healthcare companies sometimes take longer to get to that maturity than you know in other industries uh, because of the way the revenue cycles are long and building up your, your proof points takes a while. But you know, part of it is that is that the companies are finally reaching the space. I think part of it is that you know, the world has awoken in the last two years to this recognition that digital health is a real thing and it's here to stay. And, and that I think gives companies some of that runway to make those, to, to, you know, to exit onto the market in that way. Um, so I think that that's, you know, a large part of it. I do think having this back of vehicle around has enabled some of the companies to accelerate their exit because, you know, IPOs do take a little bit longer to plan out. So it could be that some of the bump that we see this year is actually because uh, there's that vehicle of SPACs to enable them to, to do it a little more quickly. Sure. And, and as you pointed out, you and I talked about the SPAC healthcare boom last fall, as yeah. we asked the question of whether it was ultimately good for healthcare, you know, did you know, obviously these SPACs are, are undoubtedly providing a lot of funding, but are they really helping prove out benefit 
to patients and, and the jury was still out. You know, this this past week, you know, we're, we're taping this on the Friday morning following the four day JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. And at the conference, there were, was a much larger presence from the health tech field. You had everything from insurers adopting tech to digital health firms focused on virtual care like Talkspace, you know, which, which had a bumpy 2021. But, but as was evident from the sessions is, is that these firms are still quite young in, in the way they present themselves to investors. And also the evidence they present was, was quite limited. So you know, they're not pointing to a heap of uh, outcomes data, uh, at least not consistently enough for providers to really feel secure in using them as a solution. Do you think that's indicative of, of where the field still is at this point? Um, I think that the field is definitely new to the public markets, and I think that requires some training. Hopefully, some of the SPAC vehicles can actually help those companies because the sponsors of the SPACs usually do have more experience, uh, often in publicly traded markets, so I'm hopeful that that can help. Uh, But definitely, I think there's a bit of a learning curve as you exit, and many of these are very new, and this is probably their first JPM ever, so I think there's a bit of a learning curve there. Uh, but I do think a lot of companies in digital health do have outcomes um, and, and, you know, maybe not revenue to go along with the outcomes, but, uh, but that is building some companies obviously have revenue as well. I think one thing that is, it takes a long time in healthcare to build up to that point. And I think that's something we're seeing as some of these companies are now publicly traded and seeing that, you know, what is going on under the hood, uh, some of those challenges there. So I think there will be a bit of a, a rockiness in the beginning. I do believe that there are a lot of strong companies and they will be successful over time. Uh, it's probably a little bit of, of rockiness and, uh, you know, and, and also the market learning what's the right valuation in the beginning, right? Maybe some of these companies, it wasn't clear, you know, you don't have as many comps, so it's hard to, to know what the right, you know, what the right number is to, to start off at. Uh, and we actually have seen that the companies that went public in the last year did not, for the most part, perform very well this year on the stock market. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of that learning, both of the market and the valuations that needs to be taken into account. I do think the SPAC vehicle is interesting because, uh, because I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but because of the timing in which the SPACs, um, you know, they have a two-year window and even some of them have less than that that creates an urgency that can be a little bit um, unnatural in a way that makes them really uh, aim to find a good match quickly and then creates a bit of a tension. If they can't find the perfect match, do they then look for a slightly lesser perfect match? Um, And so I think there might be some risk where some of the companies that go public via SPAC may not be quite as baked or as ready um, as you would normally see via IPO process. Uh, so we'll probably see some of that, but I think in the long run, things will smooth out and, you know, those companies will be successful for the most part. It, it's just, um, there may be a bit of a rocky period as we all settle into this. Sure. You know, just, just because we don't have companies or, or a lot of proof rather that SPACs are helping to uh, prove out clinical benefit of digital health uh, by and large just yet does not mean that, you know, they're not legitimate funding vehicles, you know, as this field, you know, seeks to, to mature. Uh, so, so the rubber is meeting the road uh, to a certain extent on, on that funding frenzy, as, as, as you put it in the, in the 2021 report, to some extent. Uh, let's turn our attention to 2022. How do you think 
this year will be, you know, will, will it be the same, you know, uh, for digital health firms to, to raise money or will it be a little bit harder? Yeah. So I think on the funding front, there's still a lot of, I think there was, I don't know the exact numbers, but I can't predict exactly, but I think there will still be a lot of funding activity. One thing that I'm keeping an eye on is feels like some of the valuations are a little high right now. And so that's something that, uh, you know, gives me a little bit of pause on, you know, I don't know if there will be a correction or if it'll just kind of continue on this path, but it's something to keep an eye on. But I do think there will be a lot of funding still going forward. Um, Another thing to keep in mind is I think we still will see a lot of M&A as we had talked about, because those, those challenges and opportunities that we're seeing with platforms, with talent shortages, with funding coming in, with a lot of point solutions that need to be aggregated, all of that still exists and continues. So I think we will see a lot more M&A or continued M&A this year, you know, and at the same time, I think we'll still see a lot of SPAC matchmaking. At the last check that I did, uh, there were 50, still 58 healthcare focused SPACs out there looking for targets, uh, which is even more than when I previously ran this analysis a few months ago. And so, you know, maybe not all of them will find a match, but that still implies that, in the next year, there will be a decent chunk of SPACs acquisition. So I think in terms of funding, I think we'll still continue to see a lot, you know, keeping an eye on those valuations. And then we'll we'll see a lot of M&A and SPACs still. So I think that's uh, kind of interesting. I also think, you know, something I've talked about recently in the last few months is this idea of the middle children in healthcare. So these are tech, retail, and consumer companies that are not the big tech. They're not the Google and Amazon that everyone has an eye on but they're sort of medium-sized companies that have really strong consumer bases and really strong brands. We expect to see a lot of those moving into digital health in in the coming years. And we've already seen a couple of examples very recently with CrossFit uh, launching a primary care service or Kroger partnering with Anthem Anthem to launch co-branded Medicare Advantage plans. Most recently, Hy-Vee, which is a supermarket chain, launched a subsidiary focused on telehealth. So uh, we see a lot of these, and obviously there's the oldies like Best Buy, who's kind of been in this space for a while. But I think those companies can really capitalize on their brands and their consumer relationships to start to offer digital health services. And whether they do that in partnership or through acquisition or through their own service, I think we'll see more of that. So that's another thing to definitely keep an eye on. Um, and I think we'll still see a lot of partnerships of incumbent healthcare companies working with startups or, you know, even acquiring them. And we've seen a lot of that today, but I think we'll see more, especially as some of those incumbent incumbents try to reinvent themselves to stay relevant in this new space. So that'll be everything from payers, providers, pharma, med tech, um, and others. I think we'll see a lot more of that as well. That's a great segue to another question I wanted to ask you about what you see in terms of major life sciences companies merging with digital health companies or adding their services, you know, what we used to call back in the day beyond the pill, you know, mm-hmm. we're, as you pointed out, we're still seeing digital health companies by and large being the ones buying other digital health companies, but to what extent yeah. are, are we seeing or, and will we see kind of partnerships between the incumbents, uh, particularly biopharma and digital health? Yeah. So I think, um, There's a lot of partnerships and there's a lot of interesting partnerships too. And they take a lot of different forms. Of course, people use the word partner uh, kind of partnership broadly. So that can mean different things, but I, you know, you see everything from really early in the research cycle, like 23andMe and GSK have a research partnership 
uh, for drug discovery. So that's kind of very early in the cycle. Obviously, in the clinical trial space, especially with COVID, we've seen a lot of companies moving to work with remote clinical trial companies like Medibol and Science37, um, you know, and, the, and those types of companies to run their clinical trials remotely. That's becoming pretty standard. And then once the medications are on market, we're seeing a lot of uh, collaborations, uh, you know, beyond the pill, as you mentioned. I think just recently, Bright Insight announced a partnership with Sanofi uh, focused on bringing, you know, another uh, what they call next-gen digital companion to market. Um, so obviously there's still, there's still a lot of those happening. Um, another thing we shouldn't forget is the collaborations between the pharmaceutical companies and the digital therapeutics companies focused on discovering new digital therapeutics. So you have uh, Click and Otsuka have a partnership and um, Happify and Sanofi have a partnership. Uh, Pair Therapeutics has a partnership with Novartis. So there's a number of these partnerships uh, kind of using the assets that the pharma companies have around clinical uh, research and clinical drug discovery and then the digital assets of the companies. So we see everything from co-developments and co-research to really more just, uh, you know, launching support products for the digital products. Uh, I do think we're seeing a little bit of a shift away from pharmaceutical companies developing their own digital assets. We, there's some of that, but it's it's not as, uh, you know, perhaps not as maybe five years ago, that was what they were all doing. And I think now they've realized that it's probably better to partner with the digital native to do some of that stuff. Um, although you do still see some of, some of that happening. Sure, you know, I recall back in, I think it was 2016, 2017, AstraZeneca partnering with Babylon Health, uh, which, which does it on doctor on demand service uh, and kind of coming to that realization that, hey, let's, let's, let's not try to build this ourselves, but partner with somebody who already exactly. is well-established in the consumer facing area. And they had to deal with the NHS um, at the time. But uh, you, you, we saw, you know, a couple of years ago, a, a pullback from pharma you know, in, in the digital health realm, you know, there had been some investments, you know, you mentioned Pear um, and, and Novartis uh, and, uh, and Sanofi um, yeah. had, had one with Onduo uh, yeah. and um, Atsuka uh, had, had one with uh, Proteus. Yeah. Proteus. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so there was kind of a rationalization there. And I think it left a, a bitter taste in, in the mouths of, of some of the incumbents uh, and yeah. now, you know, perhaps, you know, with, with the, the list of, of deals that you just uh, spoke of there, perhaps there's a, a little bit of a of a, a rebound uh, there, maybe a, a beyond the pill 2.0. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, it's a new area. So when something is new, finding the right approach and the right partnership model uh, can take time, right? So some of those, uh, you know, some of those things, and, you know, Otsuka really went on a, a limb there with, with Proteus at the time, and, and maybe that didn't work, but that doesn't mean that they're not trying again, right? Now they're working with Click. So they're, you know, they, but what they're doing with Click is different than what they did with Proteus. So I think finding that right, what are the assets we bring to the table? What is the thing we're going to bet behind is interesting. We do see a lot of companies going after a portfolio type approach. So companies like Novartis, like J&J, &J, like Roche are doing a lot of different partnerships, a lot of deals and a lot of, you know, different kinds of things, whether it be through accelerators, the CVCs, acquisitions. Uh, so a lot of different things. So I think people are still figuring out what's the right 
approach and what's the right method and how much do you pour into one thing or another? So, you know, I think we've gotten to a point where the pharma biopharma industry realizes this is an integral part of how they have to do things going forward, but you have different ways of pursuing it and different, uh, you know, folks are still learning what works and changing that as they go. So I don't think a few failures means, I mean, if you look at drug discovery, there's tons of failures all the time, right? Like many, most of the drugs that you start out with don't actually make it, uh, but maybe it's just not as public. So kind of pursuing that same portfolio approach and saying, we're going to try a lot of different things, figure out what works, figure out what our strengths are, where we want to focus within our business. Um, and then, you know, really doubling down on the things that are starting to prove out. I think that's probably the right strategy versus saying, let's pick one thing and put all our eggs in that basket. Sure. Sure. It's a great point. So, uh, you know, to uh, bring our discussion to a close, um, I, I didn't want to ask you whether you felt that digital health is in a bubble because I know you, Rock Health has like a whole matrix of uh, approach to sort of uh, determining whether that's the case. But how would you characterize 2022, you know, in, in a few words? Yeah, so I think that, you know, that we've seen rapid growth in 2020 and 2021. However, where you, if you look at where the healthcare industry is in terms of becoming digital, we're not there yet. You know, there's still a lot of the things that we do are based on legacy systems, legacy processes. It's not the consumer experience you want to have. It's not seamless. So I would say there's still a lot of opportunity of room to grow and things to do. So I don't think it's a bubble in the sense a passing fad. I think there, we're in the middle of a transformation that just takes time and there's a lot more to do. I don't know if the valuation, like if the valuations or the funding dips a bit, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, but also if it doesn't, that'd be okay too. I think, you know, there can be bumps in the road and ups and downs, but I think we're on, we're focused on moving into, you know, making all of healthcare digital, right? And that's a journey that will take time, but we're not there in any way, shape or form. So it's definitely not a passing fad in my mind. Okay. We will certainly stick around for the journey. Um, Well, sorry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Sure.